Hi, and welcome to another episode of Garmology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. My guest today is Albert from the US. And uh, would you like to introduce yourself, Albert? Hello there, Nick. It's Albert Imperato. Yes, it's an Italian-American uh, extraction there in that last name from New York City, originally from the Bronx, That uh, one of the five boroughs that make up New York. And uh, we've uh, I've been... Uh, living in the country since COVID hit. We are about two hours north, a home in the Hudson Valley. It's very beautiful, very rural, surprisingly so that it's only two hours from New York. Uh, it's just rolling hills and farms and a, a really beautiful place to be. So a little bit of uh, unreality because it's very beautiful, but we're we're here for very sobering reasons dealing with a pandemic that's made the, the world crazy upside down you name it it's it's done it to all of us so that's 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 me what else you want to know nick um well i mean your age your income your social security number and your internet handle <laughs> well we're um my, i'm at upstate guy style as my instagram handle and uh 58 years old and um yeah i've been in new york and around new york my whole life and i am a music promoter music and arts promoter I worked for a record company uh, for Universal Music for 13 years, and uh, there I studied, I sold classical music, uh, jazz recordings, some of the really legendary uh, uh, music uh, of the Verve catalog, which was Ella Fitzgerald, Louis Armstrong, Stan Getz, uh, Astrid Gilberto. Um, so during my my uh, years working at Universal, I, I dabbled rather heavily in jazz, world music, but mostly classical. That was my passion. Um, and I did that for 13 years. Uh, left when the record industry started collapsing back in 1999. Left and in January 2000, started my own company with two of my friends. And it's called 21C Media. And we are dedicated to promoting classical music and performing arts and very, very proud because I told Nick the other day, and I'm just going to mention it, we, after 20 years being in business, we made a list of, of America's 200 best uh, PR companies, which I'm really proud of because we are a tiny little shop that promotes art music. And I never thought that anybody would care or notice. And we made it into some a pretty impressive list, 5,000 companies nominated by 30,000 people. And it was kind of like, okay, you know, I'm getting old. Times are tough. You know, when I retire, I at least could say that we we made a little something out of our little effort. So it's kind of kind of a happy a happy moment amidst a lot of anxiety uh, with the election coming and everything that's been happening. It was it was nice to get a little pat on the back for a change. Positive news is always uh, welcome, and especially so in uh, in these times. Now, the reason I came across you was uh, through the global denim hang and uh, your Instagram. And it was kind of fun to see another, I hesitate to say older guy, but uh, middle-aged guy also sort of doing that uh, teeny bopper Instagram, show off your clothes thing, writing funny captions. I felt a sort of instant kinship here. How did how did all that start? Well, uh, honestly, it's not been that long. It's been about three years. I'm not sure. How long have you been doing yours, Nick? Well, I started the blog about eight years okay, ago. Okay, so you've now, been doing this for a while longer. Started, well, probably about six, seven years, because I started the Instagram to sort of promote the blog, and then it 
well, after a while, it took on a life of its own. Well, what 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 really set me in motion was was you know just classic uh, old dude uh, wanting to keep young. I mean, I work for a company that does promotion. We promote artists and orchestras and institutions, and um, a, a big part of the work that we do is build and maintain websites and manage social media uh, social media channels for famous artists and. You know, I'm 58. We started our company when the internet just kind of came into existence. And, um, you know, I'm okay. I'm not um, techno-phobe. I'm not afraid of my computer, but I'm no expert um, either. And um, I would go to these meetings with artists and my young employees would talk about all this social media. And I just felt very self-conscious. I was like, I'm in a business promoting things and this new thing that's come along social media and Instagram. Uh, I'm not aware of it. And I don't really like that. I, I was very uncomfortable with how out of the loop I felt. So I said, I should, op- I should start my own feed and um, learn about it and see how it works. And I didn't want to do something in uh, music because that's my day job. And I felt like I don't want to really do something right in my immediate sphere because I, I just want that experiment without like any pressure of people actually following me or caring. I just want to learn. And so I said, Oh, I love the Hudson Valley. I love nature. I'll, I'll do some nature pics. And, um, I, that's where the upstate part uh, came in. But just at the time that I started the feed, which like I said, was just really to teach myself about Instagram. Um, I was, I had been wearing a pair of red wing boots, uh, the, the special edition 2015 Huntsman boots that I I found quite by accident at a men's store in downtown Manhattan. And I did not realize these were like collector's item boots. And this guy at the gym was like, dude, wow, you actually got a pair. and Those are rare and you could probably sell them for a thousand bucks. And I was like, what are you talking about? So right at the time that I started this upstate like nature uh, feed, um, I this guy got me very interested in heritage wear. I did not even know what the term meant. And before I knew it, I was writing to people, finding out, oh my God, these boots I bought, they don't make them anymore. They're special. And then before I knew it, it's uh, like, what's selvage denim? I only had Levi's. And I swear to God, my entire wardrobe that you see in my feed is uh, three years old. I bought it all in the last three years. I had some, yeah, I had some Red Wings uh, before. I had a couple of cool... Uh, jackets, but I didn't really have a heritage wardrobe, and the timing was kind of perfect. Like I got the chance to learn about about Instagram. I got a chance to post about something that connected me with a lot of new friends. I made a lot of friends through my feed, and um, weirdly, people started following me. And I think part of it you talked about being older dudes. Uh, you know, just being a gray dude gets you some attention. You know, <laughs> in some. You know, I some circles, uh, you know, it's kind of people think it's kind of fun that I'm an older dude wearing jeans and leather jackets and trying to look, quote, young, etc. But um, I think it actually helps uh, us old dudes stand out a little bit in a field that does have a lot of a lot of youngsters. I mean, always when I talk to people, I'm amazed, like, oh, my God, you're actually uh, half my age or I have a pair of shoes older than you when we when when you DM with somebody who's quite young. And, uh, you know, then every once in a while you run into, to another, another older dude and everybody has their own reason that they're doing what they're doing. But I really have genuinely fallen in love with this rugged style. And, um, 
I think part part of it too is as I was getting older, I didn't want to dress like an old dude. My my dad just had a horrible wardrobe when he was my age. I just watched. He, he just looked like he was attacked by a beige tent. Nothing fit. It was just everything was oversized. And I was like, you know, when I'm in my fifties, I don't want to dress like that. So the rugged style, you know, suited me really well. And since I've been spending time in the country on the weekends for 20 years now, it was actually something I could incorporate into my, into my weekend life as well. You know, there's, you do wear rugged style clothes when you're, when you're up in, in the Hudson Valley, that's the way that you dress. You, you wouldn't put on a suit to do anything up here, really. But the style, your rugged style is the sort of heritage rugged style. You could just as easily have gone for the sort of modern, uh, more utilitarian work where, well, basically modern stuff, but you sort of went hard down the rabbit hole of heritage. I guess I did. I I, I definitely had a thing for, for Red Wings and I, my, I had already bought a couple and owned a couple for a couple of years. So extending the, the collection a bit and learning about other styles um you know it it was easy to grow that part of my collection i do have a couple of like essential workwear items i have my rail car fine goods work pants and i just recently bought a pair that i'm wearing all the time a pair of uh, grease point workwear work jeans so i have my go outside and do chores i do have a, a little bit of that wardrobe um one or two items three items of each. Um, and, and that's enough for the kind of work that I do up at the house. You know, I do my, my raking, I do my traipsing about in the woods. I, you know, take my ax out and chop up some wood. Um, we have a lot of muddy property. So I need, I really actually do need, uh, heavy, uh, boots that, that, you know, protect, uh, you know, keep me, keep me dry, but also keep me from, from falling. I have to say we are, we are, it's a very hilly area and when it gets wet, it's, it's pretty slippery. So um, I have some f- very functional stuff, but you know, for up until COVID time, I lived in the city and came up on the weekends. So during the week, I I needed sort of that middle ground those those clothes that fit in the in the city life as well. I couldn't really go just hardcore, uh, you know, workwear and then show up at a at a music promotion company um, on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. So. I, I kind of laid off the suits. I started wearing a lot less dress clothing to work and started, you know, I would wear my jeans and a, and a, you know, a boot with a certain slightly leaning uh, dresser, dressier vibe, like a pair, you know, a pair of uh, Indies, um, you know, the, um, what do they call the Alden Indie boots. And I would throw on my jeans and, and uh, occasionally with a, with a sport coat and a tie, uh, throw a, uh, a wool jacket or a leather jacket on top of that. So I would, I would often in the city mix the different styles and, and mix the rugged and refined vibe. Um, but now, now since COVID times and since we've been living in the country full time, I, I would say it's, it's more solidly rugged. I not, not so much refined left in my wardrobe right now. Lots of flannels. My, my Ironheart flannel collection has grown through the roof uh, good, uh, good collection of chambray's, just essentials. I, you know, I, I kind of like just packing up my, my core wardrobe being four or five categories with three or four things, four or five things in each category. And, you know, from that you can assemble 25 outfits, which like that's, that's enough to get you through practically through a whole year pretty easily. 
That is a valid uh, and good point. The fact that if you buy things that basically sort of fit together, then you can mix and match them a, a whole lot. Uh, I see a lot of guys uh, sort of basically triple denim or at least double denim, which does sort of limit the amount of looks you can accomplish. Yeah, I, I really love, first of all, I love double denim. I think, you know, I know some, there's certain people, we won't say his name, uh, but <laughs> there's certain people who are down on double denim. I love it. It's like, like it's it's the closest thing that I come to a, to a uh, what do you call, a, not an outfit. What am I thinking of? It's like a uniform. You know, I don't really have to think about it. Just throw on the denim shirt, throw on the on the jeans and the, and I'm, I'm done. I'm, I, as far as I'm concerned, it's a classic look. It always works for me. And, you know, you throw in a couple of solid color pullovers, whether it's cashmere sweaters or, uh, you know, sweatshirts or hoodies and, um, a couple of different style boots and you can rotate that stuff, throw in one or two jackets and you've got a really good, um, a really good collection. That's going to be very, going to be very, very flexible. Um, I tend to avoid getting too many kooky, statement-y vibes, but every once in a while, I'll buy something. You know, like I have a pair of greenish Westco engineer boots, and I bought those on a whim, and it's weird, and you know, whatever, but I really just love having, oh, okay, one pair of green boots. Why not? And then I bought recently, my buddy Greg Field made me a, a, a leather jacket, um, I guess he calls it the Route 66 model. I think that's what he calls it. And that's, um, you know, also an olive green. And I just thought, hey, I've already got five black leather jackets probably uh, that I've collected over 25 years. Um, Why not a green? Why not a green uh, olive-y leather jacket? So I have two or three of those kind of items that are odd and weird, but, uh, you know, in terms of color and they're fun to, to mix in. But I kind of feel like I could literally scramble all of my clothes, uh, just put them on the floor, just scramble them all up, and almost any combination essentially will will match. Um, you know, with exception. I mean, I'm I'm a real stickler for tiny details. If if my red plaid, if I notice, uh, like I have this new free note plaid, if I bring it outside in the in the sun and I see brown stripes, suddenly in my head, I'm not wearing that with black boots. It's ridiculous. I'll be like, oh, that's what I'm going to wear when I wear my brown, my brown boots or whatever. I can get a little bit restrictive that way, but like once I notice the color, and, and I, you know, I'm amazed actually at how many things I own I've assumed are one color until I like go out in the right light and look. But um, you know, just in general, I just love that idea of hey, I'm in a rush. I don't have to think that much about it, but I love all of these items. I mean, I am such a big fan of the black pullover crew neck sweater or turtleneck i just absolutely love the versatility of of that kind of item i mean you can wear it under a leather jacket under a sport coat under a jean jacket and it transforms every look it's just awesome so i really urge people who are when they're shopping to build in those two or three items that are just going to get you through so many uh changes you know um I love it. There's so many mornings where I've been literally running out of the house. I'm perpetually late and I'll be at the city and I'm in a rush. And hey, I just know pair of black boots and a black turtleneck, anything from the from the closet in terms of a jacket. Boom. I could go to a meeting. I could go for drinks. I love that kind of dressing. 
It does sound like you enjoy the shopping and collecting aspect quite a lot. You know, I, 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 one of the reasons I think it's fun being an older dude in style is that you're much less likely to second guess your own taste. When I was uh, younger, I remember being a kid and my mom would say, we're going to go take you shopping. And I would literally cry because she would take me to some mall and she'd be like, oh, you need one suit. We're, you're you know, you're going to be going to a couple of weddings with the family this year. We need a suit for you. And I would just cry. Like, I don't I'm 18. I don't know what kind of suit. Like, why are you torturing me? This is horrible. Um, but, um, you know, in my, like each decade, I could see myself, like in my 20s, I was very uh, motorcycle jackets. And uh, I was kind of in my rebel time. I was like starting my career. and. I was, you know, Paradox Martins. I was, um, you know, I just kind of liked dressing kind of like edgy in my 20s. And then 30s, my career as a music promoter really took off. And so I went to a lot of concerts um, every night, virtually every night or, you know, four or five nights a week, I would have to wear a suit. So in my 30s, in 40s, which were like my real like killer career development years, I had to dress up every night in a suit. So I, I, I had quite a wardrobe of suits. I'll never forget that first time I spent over $2,000 <laughs> on an Armani dress suit. And I was like, I was in love with that thing. I would go to a concert and uh, di- out to dinner with some famous uh, conductor and I'd be backstage at, an, uh, uh, you know, at, a, at Carnegie Hall and people would be like, Albert, wow look at that suit. And I was like, holy smokes, people are noticing my clothes, but you can't afford to dress like that. You can't go to Armani and, and, and buy five suits. That's like one suit that I bought for, you know, I wore it every time for five years, 10 years, whatever. Um, I loved it. It was fun, but I have to say, uh, as when I hit 50, I got tired of, of expensive dress wardrobe for my job and that's when I really settled into how much I loved living and uh, spending time in the country. And that's when I had my little, I don't want to be the guy who shops at Brooks Brothers now that he's too old to shop at a young men's men's shop. You know, there's that age. I'm not sure if you hit it, Nick, but I hit it where if you walk into a young person's shop, you feel just like a pervert. You're just like... <laughs> <laughs> you go to you know when you're at 50 and you go to Abercrombie to check out like a pair of like a, a pair of jeans or a jacket you look like a pervert so like, I'm just like get me the hell out of here and then I'm I would walk into Brooks Brothers and I'd be like I'm not a, I'm not a Brooks Brothers dude I'm never going to look right in this these clothing uh, this clothing so that created a little bit of a crisis and that's when that's why the timing of fine of discovering heritage wear is so perfect because I think I could wear this look until I'm dead. I mean, I think like bury me in my double denim. Like I, I see like Clint Eastwood in a picture now and he's 80, whatever. And he's wearing a denim shirt and he looks just as good in a denim shirt now as he did in, you know, a, a, a Western, you know, when he was in his fifties. So I feel like I've, I've arrived at my, my look that's going to take me, take me to the end no i don't want to get too dramatic about it but i love the idea that i'm i'm there now i'm and now i'm an older dude who has confidence in his taste and even though i cannot tell you 
any of the details that, that, that um, you know, the real experts can tell you about. You know, people ask me, why did you pick that heel? And I'm like, I don't know. What do they call this heel? <laughs> I just liked it. It looks nice. Uh, why did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I just like it. I don't, I didn't buy it because of a lot of these details. And I, in general, will find that my intuitive taste tends to purchase, I've tended to purchase stuff that's been good quality without really knowing so much in advance before I bought it that I was buying. You know, I'll buy something cheaper just because I like it if it works. I'll also spend really ridiculous money on something that's way too expensive because I think like, hey, I could buy two shirts that I like or I could buy that one really expensive shirt that's way too expensive and I should never buy it. Um, So I think that's what I would encourage as people get older. Um, The idea is to grow your wardrobe so you you make less mistakes. You know, if you're going to make a mistake, but, you know, make a mistake by buying a vintage item and realize, hey, you know what? That doesn't work. I don't like that style. Um, when I was young, I made a lot of mistakes. I would just buy something. I would never wear it. It would literally sit in my wardrobe and eventually I got rid of it. Um, now, if I buy something, everything I bought in 2020, I would put in my rank in my uh, most worn clothes because I know what I'm looking for. I can I can resist. Oh wow, that's close, but it's not what I actually want. Because when you're younger, I think you tend to jump at the that's close. I sort of want something like that, and uh, now I have the the wherewithal to resist. And I, that's really hard with Instagram. You see people wearing things and they look great in those things, and you want to uh, oh I think I want one of those, but you know. Exhale. Take a break. Don't buy it today. Go back to it. Um, there's a lot of guys who buy really cool shit, but it works for them, and it's cool for me to think it'll work for me. But I'm not a real believer in just buying so that I could put it in my closet and say I own it. I know some people will actually go and buy two versions of some pair of shoes that they love because they're getting ready for them to be worn out and make sure they have a second pair. I'm not really like that. I don't, there's nothing that I buy that I put away and tuck away. Um, I have way too many clothes, but I wear them. Yeah, I don't think sort of uh, storing up clothes for sort of planning for the rest of your life is a very good idea. I think you're right about uh, if you're not going to be wearing it now, then you probably don't need it now. Um, I know people who sort of have figured out that the style they're into now, that's what they're going to be into for the rest of their life. These are young guys. Uh, I don't think you can sort of know that when you're 25, 30, 35. So sort of making a massive storage area full of the clothes that will last you another 50 years probably isn't um, that wise. But um, what you were saying about knowing what you want now, I think that must be something that comes with age. As you get more comfortable, you learn more about yourself. Because I see younger guys, I mean, there's enough forums out there. They'll hang out there, a bit of an echo chamber, and asking each other advice. And I think that at the end of the day, they're not that comfortable with who they are or what their style is. And hence, they need the approval from others. What do you reckon there? Yeah, I think I think that's very natural. I think that's probably the the worst aspect of, of social media is the incredible, incredible, subtle 
pressure that we feel. We we don't want to admit it, but it's it is. It, it's it's a very it's a very pressurized environment. And the younger you are, the pressure's just got to feel worse. I mean, I I do feel genuinely guilty sometimes posting something that costs a lot of money on in my feed. And I'm thinking if I were a young person and seeing this and I couldn't afford it, I would kind of feel a little cheated somewhat. And then I've, I've had some, some people talk me down and be like, that's ridiculous. You've worked hard for 30, you know, you've been doing your, your company for 20 years. You've been in the business 35 years. You've been working your butt off. Don't feel guilty. Like it's just, you know, it's okay. You're 50 in your fifties and you're sharing things that, yeah, you've got more disposable income, whatever. Um, but I really admire is the young, um, the young people who have a sense of taste already somehow and a sense of style, and they know how to use their budget kind of brilliantly. A uh, good example, if you go to Julian Davis Music, I found this young young man's feed uh, because I just saw him playing his guitar once, and I thought, wow, that is the best. Uh, you know, you know how you see dozens and dozens of musicians on on Instagram and they're, you know, a lot of them are just not really, they've not taken their art very far. And then I see this, this kid, Julian Davis, and he's got, he's on his front porch and he's playing that guitar. And I'm like, that is the best type of American talent. He knows the, the folklore behind that music. He knows the old tunes. He can make them, he can re- make them modern and make them his own. Uh, just incredible. But you look at him and you're like, wow, what a look he's got. And from a distance, you're thinking it's all like, ah, he's an aspiring musician. He must go to some fancy place and he just knows like he, he, he's almost like it's almost like a costume shop to get such a great look. And you find out, nope, those G, those overalls, 25 bucks from some company that he knows. And he picked up all the cool shirts from vintage shops. And it just happens to have one really cool pair of, of thoroughgood boots. And that guy and a and a killer Stetson who that knows where he found it, um, and he's got more style than lots of guys three times his age. So there's tons of exceptions, and I absolutely love finding a young person who's already gotten gotten a sense of their own style. I can't remember his Instagram handle, but some young sixteen year old kid started following me from Norway, and um, maybe you'll recognize re- remember the name. But I just couldn't believe it. He doesn't look 16 and his look is looks a little bit more 30-ish and he looks amazing. And uh, But he's 16. I mean, when I was 16, forget it. I had zero taste in anything. I didn't know who the hell I was. And there's this, this youngster who's already rather down the heritage, the heritage path. I just, I think that's amazing. Yeah, I know when I was 16, I was just trying to look like the cool kids, which was hard because I had no money. Where were you when you were 16? I was living in uh, Tromsø in Norway when I was 16, which is up past the Arctic Circle, a small town of about 50,000 people. I think I spent almost all the money I had on records, which naturally meant that I had no style. But um, I had cool records. And what genres were you, like a, a a rock guy? No, I was always um, synth pop, craftwork, uh, uh, new wave. Oh, good! That's good stuff. That's all. That's definitely in my wheelhouse. So uh, I basically I moved to Oxford, England, in eighty two, 
And uh, I mean, that was when all the good stuff was happening. And that that changed my life. <laughs> I know you had a life-changing experience uh, with uh, Symphony. I did. I did. So, but, but tell me, uh, Oxford in 82, you went there for school? What, what brought you to Oxford? I know one of your parents is British, uh, right? Yeah, my mum's British. My father is a Norwegian, and he is a philosopher. So he was um, had a sabbatical year, so we stayed for a year in Oxford. How amazing. And that was when uh, New Order, Blue Monday came out, uh, Depeche Mode, Thompson Twins. Uh, it was loads of Such good stuff. Great it music. was incredible. So, and of course, I mean, being an older guy, I still listen to a fair amount of that today because <laughs> it's hard as hell to, to pay attention to all the stuff coming out now. Oh my God. Uh, on, you know, especially now in the age of streamed music, it's just, it's insane when you just like check on a Friday at all the new releases and the categories go on forever. And they, it's just, it's astounding how much music's available. So what happened there? So you're in Oxford uh, for that year that your dad was, was yep. teaching. Did you um, stay in England after that? No, no, back up to Tromso in uh, the north of Norway again, um, but with a completely changed outlook on music and everything. So then it was buying heaps and heaps of records, and that lasted a good few years. And then I became a dad at 21. Oh, so wow. Uh, clothes weren't really the, the thing until, uh, say, around 10 years ago um, when I moved uh, – and uh, got together with my second wife and uh well midlife crisis situation reinvent yourself pretty typical thing uh and got into the whole uh, blogging uh, instagram your, your day job uh, though is you're, you're an engineer right let's uh, i'm a civil engineer I mean, that means you're smart right I mean, you have to know something uh, I'm, I'm glad you think so <laughs> i mean i'm just a music promoter i can literally get away with as long as i can write a paragraph and bullshit, I, I can stay in business. So you actually have, you know, you have to know how to work a protractor, I would assume, right? You have to- like, Well, I did once I did once upon a time. I do know a lot about the software and all that. So yeah, smart in some, some respects. Um, so you went to Oxford but, when your uh, dad was there. Where did you actually go to, to college? Were you, uh, did you go to college in, in Norway? I did go to college in Norway, but then I was back in Manchester in England in uh, the early 90s to do uh, my master's. And of course, Manchester in the early 90s was another good time for music. So uh, I'd see uh, see the rave bands and go to the Hacienda. Uh, I'd bump into the Happy Mondays guys. Uh, terrific times for music again. So um, music has been a big part of things. Well, really. here's a little musical, here's a little segue is... I actually represent um, a Norwegian pianist named Leif Ova Ansnes. And I know that's impossible to hear and say uh, on the radio. Ansnes is the, is the last name, starts with an A. Um, yeah. Anyway, he's one of the greatest artists in the world. I mean, he's one of the, one of the supreme pianists of our time. And um, he's Norwegian, I think pretty well known. Did you know him before I mentioned him? Yeah, oh, your yeah, wife's yeah. a fan, I think you said. I think she is, yeah. She's been to concerts. Um, and, yeah. yeah, so that's a, that, that is a little bit of a segue. I mean, that's one of the amazing and fun things about my, the career that I've had promoting music is just how international I've been lucky enough to have just a very international frame of, of reference. Um, I 
I, I'm a New Yorker. I went to school in Stanford in California. So I finished up in Stanford in, uh, in 1984. But my sophomore year at Stanford, they had a couple of programs overseas. And I went to the program that they had in Vienna and lived in Vienna for, uh, lived and studied there for six six months and then traveled around for three months. I was in Europe for about nine months. Uh, but very soon into my arriving in Vienna, I heard the Vienna Philharmonic and I had never been to an orchestral concert. And that was the classic, like, you know, Paul on the road to Damascus moment in my, in my life. I mean, I really completely lost it. I was so excited hearing an orchestra play a big symphonic work. I mean, hearing Beethoven, I mean, the first concert I ever heard was Beethoven's Eroica, which is one of the most important symphonies in history. It's the, one of the most exciting, um, really the beginning of the romantic era of music. And I left that concert just, you know, I was losing my mind. I mean, I was so happy. And the next day I went out and bought all the Beethoven symphonies. And that was it. My life, I was hooked. I was traveling around Europe with a backpack. And the backpack back in the day was stuffed with cassettes and it was all classical music. And that was it. That was my backpack was a bag full of music with my little Walkman. And uh, that was that was my life, just walking around, uh, traveling around. I was riding around on trains and falling madly in love with music. And I came back, uh, finished up my my years in California, moved back to New York. And years later, heard an orchestral concert. Leonard Bernstein conducting a big Mahler symphony that was such a profound experience in my life that I had been working in journalism and I went to this concert and it, it just blew my mind. Mahler's second symphony, his resurrection symphony. And I took my best friend and I'm not kidding. After the concert, we were both so moved by the experience that we didn't speak for one hour. We sat at a bar and we kept looking at each other like, you know, why don't you say something? And, uh, you know, we just like, we couldn't. We didn't speak for one whole hour. And that was that was when I realized like art art can completely transform you. And that was the beginning of my career. The next day I sent my resume to a company called Deutsche Grammophon, which is still is the great oldest and most famous classical music label. And after hounding them for a year, they gave me a job and you know, that became my life changer. I actually met Leonard Bernstein and and uh, I met all the most famous artists of our time. Luciano Pavarotti worked with him a lot. Um, I mean, for twenty, uh, for thirteen years at the record company, I was in New York, going to Carnegie Hall and Lincoln Center, Metropolitan Opera, three, four nights a week, and meeting every great artist of our time. So, I mean, in my little world, like if someone out there listening knows my this world, this classical music world, and and you mention these artists, they're all the they're all the famous ones of our time, like Cecilia Bartoli and Valery Gergiev and, um, you know, Pierre Boulez and uh, it just, the, you know, Anne-Sophie Mutter. I just had just the most exciting and fun career because I live for music and my job was music. And uh, that's kind of kept me going for 30, 30 some odd years. I mean, COVID's been horrible. It's shut down concert life. There's Nobody's making money right now in our field. It's a very hard time, but I still get up in the morning and cannot wait to turn on my stereo. And I'm just as passionate as ever. And I, I'm reading about 
composers and I'm learning. I've never studied uh, music in a class, but I completely self-taught. And it's the one area of my life where I feel like I've put so many hours in. I, I could feel comfortable getting, I could go to a, a musicological conference and talk about Beethoven with no training and feel like I could still say something um, just from my own personal experience. So I, I, I'm a real believer in, in passion projects. My company that I built really was just a, I like to talk about music and people pay us to promote it. So it was very much an extension of, of who I am, but I have a real passion for literature. I'm a voracious reader. Um, I love film. Oh my God. I just can't get enough. I guess I'm a culture vulture. I cannot get enough culture. I'm really into cocktails, cocktail parties, and I'm really into people. That's like it. If you just give me people and ways to entertain our minds and I'm, I just said, I'm never bored. I don't even have five minutes where I'm sitting around being bored. And that's sometimes to my detriment, I can't get my mind to slow down, but like, you know, I'm 58 and I feel like I haven't lost a step in terms of my curiosity and my wanting to, to learn more. I mean, that's what I love about Instagram. I just, I'm dying to hear people's stories. Like where, wow, you grew up in Norway. Wow. Cool. Where Arctic circle. That sounds interesting. It just so happens. Uh, you know, I, the, the artist I mentioned before, he spends his summer in, in the Arctic, uh, north of the Arctic circle, se- sending the most beautiful pictures of nature you'll ever see. I mean, it really is about as gorgeous as it gets, but you know, you realize as you get older, everything's connected and one thing colors the other. And it's fun realizing all these influences that are, that go in, into making who we are. And it's really fun too, when they, when they mix together somehow, um, you know, I, it's like, I've got my little weird little denim and heritage wear feed every once in a while. One of my classical music industry buddies will accidentally stumble upon my style feed. Cause I, you know, for the longest time I didn't put my face in my pictures cause I wanted to keep it secret. But suddenly people, friends, family, people were sending me notes like, oh, I found your blog. And now I don't care. Like who cares if my family thinks it's weird that I take pictures of my jeans all the time or whatever. I don't really care at this point. But the funny part is that they kind of like it. Like my niece, <laughs> I'll be, I'll go visit my, my, my sister and her 20, my 20 year old niece will be like, Oh, uncle Albert, I, I really like your post today. That was a really cool. jacket. I'm like, Oh my God, my family's actually reading this stuff and they're getting a kick out of it. So, um, that's another thing that's really kind of could be fun about social media. I do think it can, it has a lot of horrible effects, but it also has some amazingly positive effects. Friendships started across distances that you could never really uh, cover. Finding people with interests would take you forever to like just happen to run into people in your neighborhood who, who have an interest in the things that you're interested in too. And here you can find them in the dozens, if not hundreds online. But also, I do think it's helping some people um, open up and share things with people that they wouldn't necessarily sitting in real, in, in the same space. Um, little bit of what I've learned doing my podcast, which is the podcast that I do, Vir, Vulnerabilis Vir, is Latin for a vulnerable man. Um, a lot of that, it came from just people, um, guys, opening up, you know, they would tell me 
they would just tell me a little thing about themselves and my being curious. It was like, it's like watching a thread being pulled from a ball of thread. Uh, once you start asking people, they, I, I, I generally found that people wanted to talk and sometimes tell you their stories like, holy smokes. Wow. These pe- people across this country, they're dealing with all kinds of problems, money problems, addiction, relationships, uh, often doing things they shouldn't have done that they're feeling guilty about and working it through. And I think the internet's been a great, uh, especially so me- social media has been a great way for people to let their guard down and tell people things they would never tell people. So, you know, like anything else, uh, every technology, every life experience is it has its ups and its downs. And it's our, I think it's our job to try to bring out the best in all of the things that we do, uh, to, to be a positive influence the same way in real life at your job, the same way uh, online to, to actually have a set of values that kind of go in and out and, you know, I, I say it all the time, but it's it's not just a a line that I use. But people first for me. That it, my I'll always prioritize people. I'll get some young person call me up, and they're trying to start a career in music, and I'm super busy, and I want to just hang up and go. Why are you bothering me? I'm a busy guy. But then I'm like, I don't want to be that. I want to be the person who encourages that young person. So I'm like, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever I can spare. I try never to use the phrase. I'm too busy for people. Now, if somebody's hurting, they had a hard time, I can find a way to spend five minutes comforting somebody or just listening. Because a lot of times just listening is really actually all you need to do. I mean, a lot of times you don't have an answer, but just having a pair of open ears makes a person feel like that they're not alone. You know, that's that's kind of important right now. It is. Uh, I'm just sitting here thinking, now, where am I going to take the conversation from here? Uh, you sort of covered an very wide span of uh, material there albert um yeah i tend to talk i'm 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 afraid i talk in very long blocks and i always say i'm gonna not do it and i do it it's terrible <laughs> i think it's part of my writing background because i do a lot of writing you know you just sit as a writer and just keep clicking and no one stops yeah. you so that's uh but um hey hey you you made a joke about like wanting to be interviewed i mean we can find out more about you like what's your What's your big uh, passion project of the moment? You're doing your podcast. Is that kind of absorbing all of your and your blog? Is that like absorbing your your passion energy? Yeah, I mean the podcast has really taken the energy that I normally put into the blog, but I was getting a bit um, a bit tired of the blogging as well because it takes a hell of a lot of time, um, and Instagram takes a lot of time and. And there's all the other things in life that you sort of hope you find the time and energy for. Uh, I've got a car I should be fixing, uh, stuff that needs tidying up, sorting out. I've got stuff I'd like to make. There's always a thousand projects on the list. Uh, but actually doing the podcast has been very beneficial in that it's really given more back than I have to put into it. Uh, talking to people has been really great. Um, I find myself spending hours on each episode just talking. Um, I mean, even after we stop recording, we'll keep talking for an hour or two just because, hey, we're enjoying it so much. And, and I'll have guests say to me afterwards that, uh, yeah, I'd like to come back and do another episode. It was such fun. And I'm thinking, wow, what is, what is going on here? It's People don't normally ask to talk to you and be recorded and posted on the internet. It's pretty weird. 
And it is kind of, it is amazing just how, as you're talking to people, you don't, you can't digest it completely. It's not until later when you hear it again and realize, oh, wow, I, um, I learned something there that I, I didn't quite realize. I'm, I'm, I go back on, on occasion when we finish doing one of our tapings and I'll listen a second time. And I realize I was trying so hard to just make sure I covered all my points that I, I, I couldn't even like fully digest it at the time. And I'll go back and say, wow, uh, that, that guest we had on gave us a real beautiful pearl of wisdom about how they're managing, whether it's a relationship or stress or whatever. And, you know, I feel really, really, really lucky because I'm, I'm working on my podcast with my, my buddy, Adam, and he and I are so different as people We're you know, he's doing very different things for me, but, um, just, we learn, we've learned so much from each other We're coming up on a year, a year, uh, since we started doing our, uh, our podcast. And, uh, it's been, uh, I think I've, we've learned the same thing that you've that you've learned. People do enjoy talking, and they have a lot of really amazing things to say. Uh, what we, if someone's going to go and listen to your your uh, podcast? What's the what's one of the episodes you think that uh, was particularly worthwhile? Well, all the, all the recent ones have been uh, have been very good. The first ones we did had very poor sound, but I mean, all the content is is pretty good. Uh, at least according to my mum, she really uh, <laughs> she really mom's enjoys it. You're doing something right. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but the feedback has been great, um, which sort of keeps it going. Uh, I'd like to sort of get more reach, but uh, again, that's hard. There's so many many podcasts, but um, it's it's getting there. It's growing steadily. So, what did, do you have uh, your uh, eye on the moment on uh, something that you'd love to add to your uh, your collection? Your clothing collection, or is there, are you pretty satisfied at the moment? Well, that's the strange thing. I mean, I have been buying and selling a lot of stuff over the years, uh, and at the moment, I find that I'm not as hungry as I was before. Um, and I think part of that is that the good stuff has become incredibly expensive, so it's hard just to buy because you think it's cool. Um, and just limiting yourself to stuff that is really sort of arguably, at least to yourself. I mean, I often find I have to convince myself first that I need it. And if I can't convince myself using all my tricky techniques, then there's no hope. But being able to justify, say, um, it looks like sort of the cool boots these days are about $1,000 a pair. That's way too much. It's a lot. I can't just. And that's that. like maybe you know one pair of boots in your collection once in your life. But yeah, I, I, that's a lot for a pair of shoes for me too. Yeah, uh, and I was thinking when you were talking earlier about um, about sort of working in in actual workwear. I mean, I've got so much sort of air quotes workwear in my collection, but you don't take a pair of Alden Indie boots out and sort of work in them yeah no no that's, nice those are it. those are my dress up in the city like influenced by rugged style but not really wearing rugged style those are not yeah and you don't really realize it until you need a heavy pair of boots like what the difference is between an actual pair of, of work boots and a you know some people put these things in their feet i'm like you actually go do your gardening and those those are shoes those are not actually boots but everybody defines things i guess different ways um, yeah, so I mean, you you seem like you're satisfied. I, I'm going to make a pledge though here, since I'm on the air. Maybe uh-huh. you can help me. Uh, I have one other friend, my buddy Ken Ken Dykler is helping me on this one. But 
it's the no boots, no new boots pledge for 2021. Uh, I'm going to try to go an entire year without one additional new boot purchase in 2021. So I want you to hold me to that. I think think I I could do that as well. If you want to join, because I want to just break in what I own. I just, I would just want to wear and enjoy. I bought like probably five pairs of boots in 2020 and I I don't regret any of it, but I, I really want to focus now on what I own. So I would say a no new clothes pledge, but that's a bit extreme. I'm going to stick with the no new boots for 2021. So, yeah, well, I mean, five new pairs of boots. I mean, that's a lot of breaking in time uh, already. Yeah, I mean, they're all really different. I'm saying five, maybe it's maybe it's four, whatever. But they're all they're all really different. They're all, you know, it's a great range of of styles, and I wear I really do wear them differently each day and, and cycle them in and out. But uh, I'm going to try the pledge. Gotta I gotta go for mm. it because I, I you know just. It's good to have a little challenge. That you just—it's good to to test your own willpower once in a while, even though it's probably a, a battle you can't win. It's, a, it's also a pretty positive challenge. I mean, you don't need new boots every month, uh, which, well, uh, unless you're selling boots, it would be nice if people were buying new boots every I'm month. I'm amazed at how but, many uh, people DM me and ask me to sell them some of the stuff in my feed, and they're they're actually surprised, like. Oh, you're not a retailer? I'm like, no, just putting stuff up. They're like, wow, really? This seems like a lot of effort to not actually sell something. I was like, well, it is what it is. It's just fun. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing, isn't it? Because uh, I sell a few things now and again, but really just to finance uh, stuff I really want more. Uh, and I do have more than enough like yourself. Um, speaking of back to workwear, though, I mean, you also wouldn't go gardening in your expensive Japanese selvage denim, would you? No, I have my I have my my rail car pants, and I've got my um, my grease points. Those are my go outside in the actual mud. I do not really want to go in my Momotaro jeans out into the woods because, perfectly honest, it's the woods uh, near our house are just loaded with briars and thorns, and I have torn really nice clothes. A couple of times and i just got so upset and i was like nope i have to have fun my real workwear is for work and my nicer stuff doesn't need to go outside i don't need to wear my my mr lou engineer boots to go chop wood in the in the forest and then come back and have them completely ripped up by thorns so i i'm definitely segregating my my uh my wardrobe a bit to to, to not ruin i i that's like a real pet peeve of mine you know, in, in New York City, one of the, the most treacherous things that you could do is get in and out of a cab. How many times I ripped a massive gash and a beautiful pair of shoes doing that? That is the worst. So I, 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 I it's like unforced error I try to avoid. Like don't don't mess up something nice that you really like. Unless you're not gonna mind, but very few articles of clothing that you're not gonna mind having a gash on them. Well, that's part of the thing with the with the denim guys though, isn't it? That they want the tears they want the wear they want things holes and repairs and all that where where do you stand on that i actually i'm totally into that that groove where they're worn nicely but not going over that other side into heading towards like having holes and i just there's a certain amount of indigo color i still like in the jeans i i look at some of my old levis before i paid any attention to any of this and the, the color is gone they're like almost white i can't believe that they were uh, indigo and i would not want my my 
nice Momotaro jeans to completely lack the indigo and be like completely worn out. So I'm, I'm a real, like when they get to the sweet spot, then I put them out of the, the daily rotation. And the, right now I've got like four or five pairs either in or approaching sweet spot. And that, that's, I'm, I'm really into that. That's the, that's the amount of wear I like on my jeans. Yeah. I have to admit that for me, that first wear is the sweetest. And from there it's all downhill. Oh, you like them new. That's good. Oh, nice and blue and unmolested. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've even been looking at, uh, you can get these kits of natural indigo dye from this place in the US that grows indigo plants. I mean, there's very, very little actual natural indigo dye used these days. About 95% is synthetic, nasty, chemically synthetic. But you can get from this place, I forget the name now, but you can get dye kits. And I've been wondering about what if I got a dye kit like that, then I could sort of re-indigo all my favorite jeans <laughs> and they'd all be nice and blue again <laughs> i mean that makes me sound like a total indigo pervert i know but um how about how about uh, yeah. resoles like i'll see someone take a boot and put on a new sole that wasn't on the original and i'm like heresy don't put that heel on a you know on a 877 red wing that's ridiculous it's a crepe it's supposed to be a crepe sole i'm a little bit of a purist that way it's i'm kind of boring when it comes to uh, no i mean uh if there's a way to improve them i'd do it i have several pairs of uh say church brogues which originally came with useless leather soles uh and i've had them resold with commando soles okay useless yet yeah, leather sole that i could i could countenance that i could do but I'm looking at my 877 Red Wings now with their crepe soles, and I'm thinking, hmm, no, there's still too much life left in them. But at some point, maybe I'd have a different sole. Oh, um, I'll have to tune in the, further the black- for that one because I just know myself. I, that boot to me is a crepe sole. That's what I, I'm a purist that way. It's really kind of boring, but I guess that's my yeah. taste. Well, I'm a bit like that with vintage cars as well. I mean, if you can sort of improve things now in 2020 using technology that wasn't available 50, 60 years ago, do it. Um, of course, uh, a pair of old boots isn't quite in the same league, but um, I don't know. I'm very fond of the the black uh, Vibram Commando soles that Red Wing use on the ice cutter. Yeah, those those are good. Yeah. I'm kind of sorry they don't they make are- those those ice cutters anymore. They keep sort of making them and not making them. Uh, they were available, I think, two years ago and available seven, six, seven years ago. So but there's a new one out this year, uh, the Sawmill. Oh, really? So they have a variation which, of it? Which is uh, sort of a mock toe version of the ice oh, cutter. interesting. With, with the wool lining and the Vibram soles. They actually look much nicer because, I mean, the ice cutters are very functional. They're hell of a boot. Uh, mine are what seven eight years old now still as good as new but they're not the prettiest yeah i have a friend who always sent me links and just would be on me just saying how could you not own these and uh, that's the one area of my my uh wardrobe i have a beaten up old pair of totally um waterproof gore-texy uh, uh like army issue uh, uh combat boots that are, they cost me like 35 bucks in some military store. They are completely waterproof. And I could stand in Arctic ice and be totally comfortable. So they totally cover me and they're not pretty, but they're very functional. So I'm just like, for the couple of times I really got to walk around and 
in really bad wintry conditions and snow, those will be those will be just fine. But now you got me thinking about what is it called? The sawmills? Sawmills. There's a yeah. sawmill parkway I mean, is one of the main roads that takes you from the Hudson Valley back into New York City. So I'll be seeing that and thinking seeing the road yep. and thinking boots. And in 2022, when your pledge is over, you can buy a pair. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm. You know, <laughs> if I get desperate, I will text you, and you'll help me <laughs> me down. I hope I can do it. I really got to do it. <laughs> Speaking of where things are made, does that matter to you? Um, I mean, I do like the idea of supporting American-made companies. I think it's 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 great. I think. To, to, the closer the better. I just love ordering a belt from my buddy Tucker, who is not just my friend. He's over there, right there in Connecticut. And you know, when I go visit him, we he takes me over to Harden Co, the denim company. And why, you know, why not buy work shirts from this guy who's right there in in Hartford, Connecticut? Uh, I love that. I think it's great. I love that Red Wing is. Uh, an American brand. I don't know that every pair of Red Wings I own was made in America. I really don't track things quite so much that way. Um, but also, I mean, we live in a world, a global world, and I also like to support makers in other countries. Um, I, I, you know, I hope I pay attention to ethical that things are ethically made. I, I, I can't say I do extensive, extensive research, but I'll ask friends who know and just say, "Hey, what do you know about this company or that company?" Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little bit of like, I feel, um, pressed for time. And so I tend to be very intuitive about what I like. And I, I often find out after the fact, a lot of the details, I just be like, Hey, I really just like that. I hope it'll pass muster. I hope it's from a country I like and, or from America. And I hope it's ethically made. And there've been times where I've not ordered something because someone will say, no, they, there's, those are shitty people. You don't want to order from them. Um, but I'm a little driven because of my time issues. I can fall in love with something and be not think it through so much. Sometimes I'll just be like, I just love it. I'm just going to get it. So I got to, you know, everybody's got their weaknesses. That's one of mine is my, my feeling that I'm constantly in a bit of a rush. I notice when when I when I'm when you're mentioning brands that, that you'll mention some brands that I'm not familiar with, and it's it's quite strange because we're so global these days that we think that I mean everything's everywhere. But I get the same feeling when I read the Heritage Post, uh, a German magazine, who have been doing an English edition, uh, and a lot of their advertising and the companies they feature are c- completely unknown to me as well, even though they're much closer than the US. So it's as if Sort of, there's a European community, there's a US community, and there's a global one. Uh, it's pretty strange. There's no doubt I've tried to, to have, uh, add some variety. So I will try a brand from a country that I, you know, I, I bought a pair of Benzac jeans because I didn't have another, I didn't have another pair of jeans from, at that time, that, that were from Europe. Those are from the Netherlands. Later, I got a pair of. I did get a couple pairs of nudie jeans, but I, I do like spreading it out. I have my Japanese pair, my Momotaros. I have denim shirts um, from different, different, uh, you know, American made, an Ironheart one that's uh, Japanese made. Um, yeah, I like I like having a variety. Um, it's it's kind of fun to think you fill in the fill in the gaps and and. You know, at times when I've traveled, it's made me a little bit more prone to buy things that I don't need so much. But 
but uh, that's not going to be an issue for all now. Uh, do you mainly buy things that you can try on, or do you order a lot? Um, I mean, honestly, there's no really great men's shops uh, in the Hudson Valley right now. Um, so I buy often brands that I've already tried on or own in person. Um, I will take risks and try new, um, new, new uh, brands. You know, rely really heavily on talking to people who um, experts. You know, I got my buddy Neil at Standard and Strange is great for advice. Uh, Tommy at Butterscotch, uh, Long Beach County, helped me sizing on a whole bunch of things, including my Momotaro jeans. I mean, if you ask, you can get some really good advice uh, through Instagram. You know, DM DM uh, people who own the stuff, people who who um, sell the stuff. You can, you know, I'm very nervous to spend a lot of money on something I can't try on. Like the, the the hardest part is engineer boots. I mean, it, they are impossible to judge uh, often what a, a, a typical fit is, and uh, that that would be hard. That when I see people spend twelve hundred dollars on a pair of engineer boots, I'm like, hmm, I don't think I'm going to spend twelve hundred dollars on something I can't try on. But that's that's just me. Yeah, because that's uh, that's part of the problem I have here. It's uh, ordering stuff from abroad. It's such a hassle to even contemplate returning it. And it struck me quite recently that if I could try on everything I buy first, I'd probably buy very much less. Yeah, it's true. Because once I've ordered something, it's sort of, it's here. Yeah. It's done. Yeah, getting getting things back. I, I, I returned one pair of pants to Asia once, and I just spent as much shipping it back as the item cost. That was like that yeah. was the end of my <laughs> shopping, like too much, and taking too many risks on uh, on faraway purchases. It's great, like once you know you fit it. I know a large iron heart shirt will always fit me. It's just so great. Like if I order that, it's perfection. But certain other items, really hard to predict what the sizes are going to be. Yeah, I had the same issue ordering boots from Japan. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what were, did you order? They were- uh rolling dub trio uh i just love their coupon boots they are such a great shape but the first pair i ordered they were marked size eight but i'm pretty sure they were a size 11 oh my god not uh, even close no no and i was walking around with them for a few, couple of <laughs> no, weeks and it was like, they were like clown shoes <laughs> uh but i was sure they must be size eight they're just a little large so thick socks and a flop 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 around Oh, it was crazy. I finally got them sold on, so uh, that was okay. I did take a hit on them, but um, I mean, there was no chance of sending them back because the shipping was a fortune. All right, here's something that you could uh, you could try because my, my, my our podcast is not really a style podcast. But um, do you have like a, a set? Ask someone uh, their you know their five items, their five essential items. Do you have little like little listicles that you do? No, I don't really. But I could ask you. I was going to say that might be a good one, uh, given the the focus of your of your uh, podcast or and, and your blog. Um, yeah, people. I mean, that was you mentioned uh, one of my recent posts where I talked about the five sort of five categories um, of things that I that I think make the you know the fundamental wardrobe, and you know, a, a jacket of some sort. You know, not a heavy coat. I'm talking about more of a jacket. And, I think um, a good denim jacket's going to be very versatile. Um, a denim shirt or a chambray shirt or some some kind of uh, 
shirt uh, is going to give you good variety in your wardrobe, obviously. Um, different types. So, you know, you could collect your three to five shirts and you've got a great wardrobe from that. Um, so I would probably pick a denim shirt in, in that mix. Probably if I had one pair of jeans at the moment, I'm most in love probably with my, my Momotaro. Um, they're 15.7 ounce uh, trim tapered. They're just certain jeans that you put them on and they look like they were made for you. I, that's how I feel with these jeans. They're, they fit me perfectly. I'd probably take those. Um, if I had to pick one pair of boots would be really hard. That would be super tough. Um, it would, you'd probably sort of just to cover the bases have to get like your basic eight, seven, five, uh, mock toe red wing. Um, you don't, you don't feel they're a bit used up. Um, I mean, you know, you could, you could, they're not going to like put you in a, in a, in a, uh, dressy situation too well, but you know, your engineer boots are great, but I mean, if they were your only pair in your closet, I don't know, that'd be tough. One, one pair of boots, it would be a very tough thing, but it would be maybe, maybe, maybe a pair of mock toes, maybe, or maybe my Huntsman boots. Those are good. Those are black. You could kind of dress them up, dress them down. Um, and, and a pullover. Like I, my, I love that real McCoy's classic old school, uh, sweatshirt that I just love. I can't remember what they call it, but, uh, loop wheel, I guess they call it loop wheel. I think they call it loop wheel. Uh, uh, I just love that thing. That's just, it's, it's so functional. It keeps you warm. I, I just, I just love that kind of essential pull on pullover type of item. Um, so yeah. So I don't know. How about you? What is, what is your, do you, do you have your automatic very favorite shirt, very favorite kind of jacket, favorite pair of jeans? Do you have that re- at ready hand or is it a, a tough choice? I mean, I, I do notice the sort of things that I tend to, just automatically pick and i think it's quite telling that nowadays when i haven't actually been into the office since march what is it i actually wear every day and that's actually where not sort of wear for instagram photos because they're that often doesn't sync up at all and uh, I'll most often be wearing a pair of jeans and uh, have a pair of onis i like a lot uh uh some real blue japans i like um and most of the time i'll just be wearing a t-shirt a white t-shirt maybe a a shirt i have a right stuff work shirt i wear a lot now i like the right stuff very good lovely guy brian yeah he's great um um, and shoes a lot of the time, I'm just I, it's a, it's it's very strange um, because if I'm going to town on a Saturday, I make a real effort to dress up on the daily basis. If I'm just mainly at home or nipping to the shop, it's not that important. I have to say, I pretty much put on an outfit every day. I think it's partly to stay sane during the pandemic, but um, I don't know. We're we're lucky because we are out outdoors. We our house is right on the woods. So I can easily spill out of the house right into the woods and be in like rugged mode immediately. So I, I tend to get dressed up in the morning. Maybe I want to go out and take a walk uh, down and yeah. take a, a couple of photos by the hills or by the ponds. Um, so the indoor outdoor is really important to me that I'm, I'm constantly going in inside and outside. That's why winter is always kind of hard on me when, when the, when the snow gets, so deep. Sometimes we'll have snowstorm. It's a snowstorm. None of it melts. And 
it will be so deep in the backyard that you kind of need snowshoes. You really can't go into the woods behind our house uh, if it's if it's a really uh, wintry, uh, a really heavy snow uh, uh, season. Um, that's why I like to get dressed. Like I, I'm going in and out. I'm going to pop down to town, go to the farm, you know. So I get dressed in the morning, so I'm ready to go. Plus, you know, I'm working at home. I don't know there's some kind of normalcy that comes from just getting up in the day and getting dressed. I hear people say, "Oh, I'm in my pajamas all day," and I'm like, mm, "That would get." <laughs> I don't even wear. I don't even have pajamas. I don't know if people are staying in them all day. I've got a no sort of, rugged guys don't wear pajamas. No, no. Well, anyway, Nick, we'll have to uh, we'll have to talk and and uh, if if you've got a good couple of stories that would fit the uh, the the vulnerable man podcast that we do. You'll come on and I'm sure you'll I come do. and because Lord knows you've got the radio voice for it. So, <laughs> okay, Albert, thanks a lot. This has been great. I'd love to hear you say you've and, been listening uh, to the BBC because that would just sound so legit. You've been listening to the BBC with Albert from the US. <laughs> hey, thanks, Nick. You're a good guy. Okay, thanks, Albert. Bye bye. And that was all for this week. And uh, if you'd like to follow um, the podcast, uh, it's Garmology Podcast on Instagram. Uh, you can also find a page with all the previous episodes on my blog, com. if you just look at uh, Garmology there. If you'd like to follow me on Instagram, it's welldressedad. And um, if you want to get in touch, it's predictably welldressedad at gmail.com. And thanks for listening. If you'd uh, like to give us a rating or even a comment, that would be great and much appreciated. So see you again next week. Bye.